Another big week in the emerging cricket world, T20 World Cup qualifier B action, qualifying also in Europe plus a quadrangular series in Malaysia and League 2 happening in Scotland as well. But first, a shout out to our friends at Patreon who help us do what we do. From as little as $2 a month, you can help the cause by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. Plenty to talk about here at the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Here's this week's show. Hello and welcome in to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. Daniel Beswick alongside Nick Skinner this week. Uh, a busy week in the books for Tim Cutler, who is not with us tonight. He's uh, held the fort nicely uh, in the uh, hosting department during the show over the last couple of weeks. But Nick, how's it going? Uh, the, the days, you've been counting them down until you head off on your little adventure. Uh, 21st, I believe you just told me just before we jumped on. Plenty of cricket to talk about this week. But uh, yeah, how are you gearing up? Well, yeah, the uh, the garage sale came and went last week and we, we got rid of some stuff. But uh, yeah, the house is still yeah a bit of a disaster zone. So um, hopefully we can get it all cleaned up by, uh, yeah, <laughs> in about a week's time. Or uh, Pro Brooklyn's going to be left uh, holding the bag while I'm uh, off living the high life with, with our friend Nate. <laughs> oh, dear. Nate and Nick in the same place. I think we might just uh, have broken emerging cricket once we do get to that. The Angus Barn. We're going to hit up the Angus Barn for sure. Oh, he's been teasing that to me for a very long time. It's on the. It's 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 basically on the bucket list at this point. Uh, the way Nate uh, makes me salivate over the prospects of what that could be. We should talk about cricket because it is a busy week of emerging cricket, associate cricket qualifiers coming out of our ears for three competitions off the top of my head. T20 World Cup qualifier B for this year's T20 World Cup in Australia, of course, already qualifying underway in Europe for 2024 qualification. We're in the second sub-regional uh, qualifier there, as well as uh, Cricket World Cup League 2 leg in Scotland, which is currently going on between Namibia, the hosts, of course, and Nepal. Let's start with uh, T20 World Cup qualifier B. If you've heard a WhatsApp message in the last couple of seconds <laughs> listening to this podcast, it is actually your WhatsApp and not the WhatsApp that was kicking up a storm during the streams uh, across both grounds so far in the series. Whoever is getting all those messages, I, I hope it's worth it, bro. Uh, <laughs> talking about some of the events on the field because I know we'll, we'll talk about uh, the the coverage and, and the streaming quality and, and everything that it was. I went back and rather sadistically went back and, and looked at the 2019 qualifier highlights, which of course were on TV, crystal clear and looking ever so good and reminiscing about how good that was and then lamenting of what this tournament could be had it been on TV in Zimbabwe. And just stopping press quickly as we do have the semi-finals lined up as of Friday. The Netherlands take on the USA, while Zimbabwe take on PNG. The winner of those two matches will progress to the T20 World Cup. Uh, but the next part of our chat is from a few days ago where we wrapped the action that we had seen uh, before me interjecting right now. So enjoy to look at the, the groups uh, in general, Group A is essentially sorted for semi-final positions. Zimbabwe and USA play each other in the last 
round robin game. You'll have seen that already. We're recording before that's happened as they jostle for the first position, which is actually kind of important considering, you know, how the Netherlands would be placed in Group B if they were to top the group uh, and play against the second place team on the other side. But it's kind of gone the way we thought it might have. I think Hong Kong were a little bit disappointing, especially after your prediction last week, Nick, um, losing both their opening two matches and effectively eliminating themselves from proceedings. Jersey and Singapore, there's no way back for them either. Uh, Uganda snuck that win against Hong Kong. Jersey were a chance at one point against Zimbabwe, just kind of let it slip there towards the end of the match. What have you sort of made of, of the tournament thus far, Nick? Yeah, well, once again, predictions are, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a mugs game. Hong Kong, you know, making me look silly um, after they looked so good in um, in the Challenge League and, and I thought their explosive top order, you know, Baba Hayat, Nizekat, etc., would take them a long way. But yeah, they've really not batted very well at all uh, and um, they're eliminated already. So yeah, not a good day for predictions uh, for, for me. And then same thing for Jersey. I thought they um, they had all the bits and pieces to, to do it on the other side, but they just they just couldn't quite put it together really. And and I guess it does maybe show there is a gap in the, in the level with the Challenge League just a notch below. And you know teams like Jersey and Hong Kong looking really good at that level, and then struggling when they come up against you know slightly higher ranked teams like you know, the USA or, or, or Zimbabwe or or indeed the Netherlands. So, yeah, I, I guess maybe I was, I was a bit too enthusiastic about, about the Challenge League teams. Um, in terms of the, the teams that have, well, qualified, obviously Zimbabwe, you, you, you kind of forget that they're actually quite a decent cricket team, you know, because they, they don't play all that often and they're kind of in this no-man's land between being left out of most of the full member stuff but also too high up to really participate in a lot of associate stuff. And being suspended in the last cycle as well. Well, and being suspended and, and you know, generally um, just the administration being a bit of a disaster for a long time. So when they actually get on the field and, and play... They're actually a good cricket team, although it, it is worth noting, I think they're still relying a lot on, on the older guard and you know where is that next level of talent coming through? Sikander Raza and, and Williams and Irvine, they're still probably the core of the batting unit and you know they're all certainly towards the back end of their careers. Where's the engine room of the batting coming next? But obviously that's you know that's a problem for a, a couple of years down the track. Um, whereas right now they're still they're still producing the goods. I'd agree with with Zimbabwe. I think the coaching change with Dave Houghton and Lance Klusner could probably answer a few questions as, as to how they've improved. But you're right about the the senior players. Sakanda Raza, especially in that first game, mm. showed why he's an excellent player at this level. And yeah, the likes of Irvine and Williams coming back. Blessing Ruzurabani is another point of difference in that team. You know, when he bowls from such height. It's something that a lot of the players at this level don't really know how to deal with. And looking at, at someone like the USA, I think I think the big thing for their squad when they picked it, and numerous people made the same point, they went quite bowler heavy with the squad, thinking that they'd have to rotate there a little bit, and picked and stuck with the batting lineup that they were to have for the entirety of the tournament. And that's been good in a couple of ways, or for a couple of reasons. One, because we've seen Ali Khan uh, exit due to injury, due to that nasty blow that he took to his arm, fractured it after, I think it was Ben Ward just whacked one back at him. But too it's it's given the batting an opportunity to know their place in the team and to know their roles and someone like Steven Taylor he is just in this unbelievable purple patch of form that we 
I don't think we've seen from him in, in a long time. And talking to people both within EC and outside of EC, it seems as if the general consensus is he's finally just given the chance to play the way he wants to play instead of being messed around by people coming in and trying to tinker with things. The way he's batting technically, it, it looks like Brian Lara from 15 years ago. He's got that backlift, bit of, yeah, the sort of Darren Bravo, Brian Lara relations, that high backlift. Maybe it's because he's left-handed as well. I'm not too sure, but just the shots that he's been playing. He hit a six not only to win the match, but to bring up a, a century in that first game. I've seen Stephen Taylor back like this a couple of, well, a few years ago now, but again, he's... He's found his form at the perfect time. And yeah, if this is the watershed moment in USA cricket, he will be one of the big players that has played such a big part in in, in doing what he has done and and doing it for the USA uh, and reaching a a global tournament like a T20 World Cup. Yeah, I mean, that um, the, the Brian Lara... Backlifter. I always tried to emulate that when I was when I was growing up. I'm sure Lara was a bit of a hero for Taylor as well, so it's um not too surprising. I guess the thing with Stephen Taylor is this is how he was seen, yeah, five plus years ago as this extremely dangerous, explosive player. But you know, he's not just a slogger. He like as you say, he he's technically correct, and that's what makes him so dangerous. Is that he he's not a guy who just goes out madly swinging and then, you know, his, his luck runs out pretty quickly sometimes. It's that I think the reason he was struggling for the last few years is because he was expected to shoulder so much responsibility of a very weak uh, USA or, or not necessarily weak even, just kind of very unsettled USA lineup where he didn't necessarily know where he was going to be batting and who his partner, you know, if he was opening the batting was going to be and you know what the game plan was and, you know, just some of the kind of instructions he was getting um, went against a, a lot of his natural instincts and, and I think that showed in, in a really poor run of form. Whereas now, whoever whoever's finally got to him and, and just told him to... It seems like a bit of a saywag bit of advice, you know, just go out there, see the ball, hit the ball kind of thing because that, that seems to have cleared his head and, and he's able to have that dangerous edge that he had a few years back and, and he seemed to have lost. And I mean, ever since the cricket's come back uh, at the associate level since the pandemic he, he's he's been in a pretty good form and yeah the last couple of months or so he's been especially good uh, so yeah Taylor being uh, that threat at the top of the order makes a huge difference for this USA lineup and they really can build a, a huge total around him and and the ability to to um, to get off to a, a really good start but it, it also sort of frees up some of the guys down the order who can hit and they have that firepower in reserve as well, if, if necessary. Um, that century you mentioned was actually the first USA player to score a T20I century. So, you know, congratulations to him for that. And then on the bowling side, uh, Surab Natravalka against Singapore. And we can talk about Singapore in a minute, but um, Natravalka became uh, the first USA bowler to take a five-wicket haul against them with five for 12 in, in their group match as well. So, uh, the USA firing on, on both sides of, uh, of the ledger there. We raved about Netravalka a few weeks ago on the show, and again, the quality comes to the fore. Just that nous and experience of playing cricket at this level for quite a while now, a former captain of the USA team as well, so a good cricket brand for Monank Patel to chew the fat with. Singapore, 
it, it was interesting. We thought that they'd still bring a little bit more to the party, even with Tim David absent. I think one of the curious things was it seems as if the squad named for Singapore was short by a player in the hope that Tim David would magically be available for the tournament if Lancashire weren't to make the finals day of uh, the T20 Blast. Unfortunately for Singapore and for the tournament, uh, missing David. But it's been disappointing all around, I think, for Singapore outside of that not being able to to lift elsewhere because we have seen in the past Singapore perform, say with Tim David in the team, but with the players around him also supporting well and a number of good contributions. They played some decent cricket against uh, PNG in the lead up to this tournament as well. And then looking at, at someone like Hong Kong again, uh, where it's been just such a, a disappointing campaign. The jersey as well, a couple of decent moments there with Asa Tribe making some runs, uh, just 18 years of age, and definitely looks like the future of that team is in pretty decent hands with him and his brother as well, Zach. But yeah, to talk about Singapore, it's just really disappointing the way that they've performed at this tournament. Uh, I think a lot of casual emerging cricket viewers would probably have looked at that team and gone, oh, no, David, well, no chance. But... I think we gave them a little bit more hope, but there was just nothing that that clicked for them during the campaign, unfortunately. Yeah, that just first up against Zimbabwe with uh, Raza and and Williams just toying with them. And and Irvine as well got off to a flyer. They just looked really ordinary, just bowling in, you know, bog standard, right arm over, not really doing anything, just getting absolutely pummeled and... and (laughs) There was was no real, you know, there, there was no control, there was no... Uh, ability to to kind of put a lid on any of the scoring they they just looked bereft and I guess it goes to show how much of a difference just that kind of five ten k's of speed can make in in terms of being a threat or or just being able to sort of be just give the batter a little bit more to think about and 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 to just to control the game and they just don't have anyone who cuts it at this level and it'll be interesting to see how they go in Canada especially since it seems like David won't be around and they actually beat Canada in the last challenge league so we'll see if they can uh, repeat that dose but um, yeah it looks like Canada are now probably cheering the fact that David is has uh, finished up with his time with Singapore although you know you never know we'll, we'll see we'll see how that goes um, but yeah and, and on the batting side again that they just don't have anyone with that power and, and the class that David brings and and even if he didn't necessarily carry every innings just having him around I think made a huge difference in, in terms of the the belief and the confidence so yeah they they just looked really ordinary I, I don't know I mean you, you talked about Jersey kind of not quite being there and yeah it was a bad tip oh, they had their moments yeah. though didn't they against Zimbabwe I think they had them seven for 117 or something and just couldn't quite finish that one and then the the total that Zimbabwe put up was probably just a bridge too far well yeah and, and that's the thing it's a similar kind of thing to Singapore though in, in, in that they just don't quite have that cutting edge with any of the bowling they have a lot of good bowlers who can fill a role and especially with the the variety in the spin attack but the seam bowling you know unless the deck's doing a bit they just can't really get that cut through and they don't have a guy who can come through at the end and and you know knock out the tail with a well with with a hat trick like we saw Logan Van Bake or or at least keep Zimbabwe to say 125 which I think they would have had a much better chance of chasing yeah, the Netherlands is an interesting one. I don't think 
they're at their best. We know that there's been a, f- a few changes. New captaincy with Scott Edwards. Uh, Ryan Campbell's still not there. Coaching uh, still in his sort of rehabilitation. And we wish him all the best as well. It's a strange one. They were pretty comfortable winners in, in both of their matches. But I think we've got quite high standards of the Netherlands. And outside of, say, uh, Steph Meyberg coming back into the team has been uh, a pretty big boost. Max O'Dowd's making runs at the top of the order. Uh, Logan Van Bake took a hat trick, so things have been good. But I just think there's there's still a few sort of bits and pieces. If they were to put it together, they could be the side that they were in the T Twenty format probably back in 2019 at the last qualifier. That's probably the strongest that we've seen them in the T Twenty format really over the last few years, especially since you know emerging cricket has existed and we've been talking about it every week because I think the T20 World Cup last year was definitely not a, a good indication of what they can be. I'm interested to see where you kind of place them in the context of things because, yeah, they'll most likely, as we're recording again, they'll most likely be semi-finalists. It will take a miracle for them not to qualify for the semi-finals that play a one-match shootout against whoever tops that group in the, in the USA-Zimbabwe group. But, yeah, I'm interested to get your take on Netherlands at the moment. Of course, yeah, a couple of changes, as we've said, and some old heads back in the team. It's interesting mix that I don't think they're quite there where they could potentially be, but I think if they if they were to kind of put a few things together, they'd be pretty close to what they were a few years ago. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of the first match they played at that uh, global qualifier in 2019 against Kenya, where they, they were just a bit rusty. They, they weren't really hitting their shots as well as they could. They bowling was a little bit wayward, but they just had the quality and the and the I guess the, the discipline as well and the experience to just get through and and just push through and, and improve and that seems to be what's happening here. And I mean that was coming after they played about eight or ten warm up games as well. So the the fact they're coming in probably a little cold here and they're still just doing the business, yeah, shows that they're, they're a quality outfit. And, um, yeah, I might have uh, underestimated them a bit in uh, last week's predictions. Steph Myberg, yeah, as we said last week, he's unretired. Uh, he, he retired uh, not very long ago with... Well, see, this is what I'm confused about, right? Because he definitely retired from one-day international cricket. Did he actually oh, maybe, ever yeah. retire from T20 international cricket? It's just been this weird kind of mix that people put two and two together but uh, yeah it was interesting seeing his name back on the list i'm not 100 percent sure either um but yeah he's he's batting with as, as much freedom as i've seen him recently all i would add is that it, the, the rustiness is something that we saw at the t20 world cup last year as well when you know there was a bit of conflict regarding how those warm-up matches for the T20 World Cup last year were put together. There was talk that the players essentially found the warm-up matches themselves with the New Zealand-Dutch connection that, you know, there is between the likes of, you know, the O'Dowds, the Van Bakes and and the Rippons of the world. So that's a common theme uh, that we could... I mean, we're only really insinuating here because they did play a couple of warm-up matches in the the lead-up to this particular tournament as well, but... Again, they just look, yeah, as you said, just a little bit rusty. And as the tournament goes on, you you think that the Dutch are going to get better and better. But the way that this tournament was set out, you know, you've only got a week and less than, what, the space of about four days to get it right in the group stage. And 
you know, your tournament is over if you can't put two wins together in the first two matches. You know, it could be two days into the tournament and you're already done. So, you know, they're lucky that it hasn't really gone that way because I think the overall quality was enough to get them through irrespective of, of the lead-in. But it's something that definitely needs to be acknowledged because the way that the tournament's run now, it's it's cutthroat. You know, if you, if you don't perform in the first two days like Hong Kong, it's all over almost before it begins. Yeah, and I guess this goes back to the format change, which we've talked about a lot. But, you know, in 2019, there were a couple of teams that started slowly and, and worked into their campaign. And, uh, you know, for example, Scotland lost to Singapore in the first day. Uh, Namibia were a bit wobbly first up as well. Uh, both of those guys ended up qualifying for the main event last year. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the fact that it's so unforgiving is... I mean, it, it's exciting, but at the same time, it is a bit harsh on, on teams that, that maybe have a, a slow start. You only have to look at, at the way Hong Kong have played so far in the tournament. Um, and Uganda are keeping themselves alive, and we are keeping it pretty generic here because we're recording uh, before the, the last match of the group stage. Well, and just on Uganda, I mean, yeah, we, we don't know if they are going to qualify or not, but yeah, it would be surprising based on how the first couple of games have gone, if, if they w- did manage to turn over the Netherlands. But they really struggled to that win against Hong Kong. It was a, it was a thrilling game. Um, but, uh, you know, chasing 88, you really should do better. But, um, yeah, Frank Nussbuga, uh we, we love talking about him. Bit of a hero of the uh, Emerging Cricket Podcast. But, you know, unstoppable in the power play. One for 10 and then two for 16 from his four over allotments. I really like the way that Uganda use him and, and the way that he's kind of adapted to the modern game, you know, for a guy who started <laughs> started playing international cricket uh, back in 1997, he's uh, very versatile and adaptable, but um, the way they use him to get teams behind on run rate very quickly and, uh, you know, then they're sort of chasing their tail, it's, it's a good strategy and I, I like that Nusbuga is, uh, you know, he's not scared to front up in the power play, whereas, you know, a lot of spinners kind of roll through the middle overs a bit more. Yeah, that two for 16, especially against PNG, where everybody else went at, I think over eight, and and he went he went at, at four and over, just shows his quality. And uh, yeah, long may it continue. I've been trying to preach the work of uh, Frank Unsubuga <laughs> around, uh, not only in the in the cricket community, but to anyone who wants to hear me shout it from the the veranda of my uh, apartment. You know, he turns 42 in August. The bloke's taken one of the best catches we've ever seen in the Challenge League not too long ago. Taking wickets, the man's eternal. You just can't stop this man. He he is, he is cricket. He is life. He is eternity. Frank Unsabuga, the cult hero of emerging cricket. One day we'll have a shine for the great man. Uh, before we do move on, Nick, I should give you the uh, the ball here and and potentially a long run up. Just talking about the stream, and I know we joked about it with you know the the WhatsApp messages pinging through on the on the stream, and well, that's the least of their problems, really. Colors all over the show. I thought Jersey was the Netherlands, and I thought Netherlands was Jersey there for a bit, just with the colors being a bit off. It's just, it is a little bit disappointing. And look, we had a TV event in the last cycle, and I think automatically that means that this was not going to reach the expectations that a lot of us kind of had on it. I know that in times gone by with with pathway events, you know, we haven't had the opportunity to stream them, but this is a World Cup qualifier and talking and hearing murmurs from a number of the boards who have played in both the A qualifier and the B qualifier are furious because the product that's being dished up to consumers 
and you know the sponsors not being shown on shirts and the outreach that it gets not being on TV is something a little bit different and it's been probably at the detriment to a number of these members who are so desperate to, to get their name and word and, and sponsors out there. It's really difficult for a number of these members to kind of do what they're doing with the streams the way they are. Looking at you know the likes of sub-regional qualifiers and stuff like that where we hadn't had streams in the past and we hadn't had coverage of this nature before, I mean, there is an argument where you could say, yes, there have been improvements because we can actually watch the games. But this is a T20 World Cup qualifier that was split in half and ultimately not given the same coverage it got, you know, in terms of its actual, you know, live streaming and, and, and product as a live event. It is really disappointing. And yeah, again, just going back and watching, you know, all the highlights from the 2019 tournament, it's just, it's chalk and cheese what the coverage is like. Uh, well, yeah, you, you say, well, at least we can watch it, but that's kind of debatable with the <laughs> way that the stream keeps dropping out and freezing and I feel like there's been fewer dropouts this time but it is a problem that is all too recurring across all of the the pathway events yeah I mean yeah I don't know I haven't I haven't really I haven't kept a tally of like the number of dropouts I think maybe there's been more dropouts but the like the length of them is shorter so I don't know if that's better but you know the fact we're in this situation at all and and we are you know comparing which kinds of dropouts are worse yeah kind of just shows all you need to know and everyone said this was going to happen. You know, they moved it to Bulawayo where the infrastructure is rudimentary at best. They they have had streaming problems in Zimbabwe as recently as, you know, the end of last year with the Women's World Cup qualifier. They've had a decent amount of time since then to try and get something up and running and fixed, but they they just haven't. I don't know. It's it's like nobody cares. And I mean, maybe that's just the answer is that, you know, nobody with the influence to do anything about it actually cares enough to fix the problem. I hope that's not the case uh, and that, you know, there's some other explanation. But the fact that this keeps happening and we keep seeing ICC, ostensibly major ICC qualifying events being affected by the same problems again and again and again to me, indicates just a, a systematic lack of interest in, in the product, which, as you say, you know, last time they ran this, it was a fantastic tournament. It was great. It was it was exactly what, you know, we, we kept saying was so good about associate cricket. It was, it was exciting. It was able to put that quality product in front of people's screens. And according to their own accounts, it made money. So, it's just... Yeah, that was the point I was going to bring up. It's just such a bizarre decision that they've kicked it down to this this crappy, you know one or two cameras and dodgy streams and WhatsApp messages and some guys, you know, desktop <laughs> interrupting the, the coverage every now and then. And and then just on the Bulawayo move, this is, yeah. I guess, not really the ICC's fault. This is more a, a Zimbabwe cricket fault. But we were promised that they, they were moving it to Bulawayo not because they wanted to save money and just shove everyone into one place, but because in Bulawayo they'd get better crowds. But then you look at the crowds for the Zimbabwe matches and the stands are empty. There's, you know, three guys walking around. There's a couple of, uh, you know, security guards standing around. There's maybe 15 spectators sprinkled through sitting on the grass looking, you know, looks like they're having a good time. But if that's better crowds than Harare... I mean, <laughs> it's almost impossible to get worse crowds than this. So, I, yeah, I, I don't really understand what's going on there. If you're just saying you're being too stingy to have two venues, I mean, okay, fine. Just come out and say that. Don't make up some nonsense excuse about having great crowds when clearly that's not the case. 
yeah, it's just so disappointing that that such a great event has been turned into just such a second rate, low rent. You know, not good enough. It's just not good enough. And we we say that every time this comes up, it's not good enough. But nobody does anything about it. So what's you know what's going to change? Yeah, I uh, don't have a whole lot more to add. Uh, what you've just said there is pretty comprehensive in, I think, the consensus of concerns that people have had that we've spoken to and we've seen across social media in regards to the tournament. Uh, another ICC TV event of sorts or a continually rolled-on competition, Cricket World Cup League 2, continuing with another tri-series, this time in Scotland. Scotland, Namibia and Nepal taking part in this tri-series. Jake Perry. Uh, who's contributed to EC in the past on the comms with Peter Delapena, of course, another friend of the show. A few trends that have continued in this series leg, Nepal's batting woes, we'll talk about that in, in a moment. Scotland looking pretty clinical, but it's getting to an interesting time in Namibia's campaign now, obviously with a lot of matches to catch up on and three tri-series on the bounce at home for them to play. They also play PNG, I think, four times in that, and, and PNG bringing up the rear in last position. You would think that Namibia would have the opportunity to really fill their boots with those matches, but it's a bit of a turning point in the League 2 campaign for Namibia. They got done by 77 runs to the hosts, being bowled out for 181 after Scotland had set them 259 to victory. George Munsey with a, a measured 71 not out of 108 balls. That's slow mm, going unusual. for uh, a man who's normally batting at a strike rate of well over 100. They then came out and beat Nepal by 40 runs, defending 220, which I think was probably more about Nepal's overall team and effort and abilities with the bat than it was about Namibia. So Namibia do have a lot of matches in the bank and a lot of matches at home to compound that. But it is an interesting time for them because we know Scotland are racing towards one of those automatic positions for the Cricket World Cup qualifier and they look like pulling that off. But to look at, say, Namibia to start off with, we'll talk about Nepal in a second. It is an interesting time for Namibia cricket and their fans here at the moment because, yes, you would think that, you know, even if they were to, to go in some sort of qualifier playoff, they'd be too strong. But they definitely want one of those top three automatic spots to, to go through to the qualifier automatically. Yeah, it is interesting. They, they've been sort of winning at a 50% win rate, which kind of reflects the way they've played in that they'll, you know, they'll be quite good one day and struggle a bit the next. Whereas Scotland are, as you say, clinical, I think is the right word for that. They just find a way to win. Guys like George Munsey, who normally bats at a rate of knots, assess the conditions and, and put his head down and play to responsible innings. And, you know, there's just always someone for Scotland coming up with, with the innings that they need or with the bowling performance they need. And, you know, I think you've... Uh, You've given short shrift to uh, Safian Sharif there, who grabbed a fiver and um, bowled really, really well in the you know, somewhat helpful conditions, admittedly. But um, you know, you still got to put the ball on the spot, and and he did that and grabbed five for thirty-five. Uh, so yeah, good effort from him to completely derail the Namibian chase, especially dislodging uh, Jan Nikolov to Eaton, who just uh, reached fifty and was looking like uh, he he might be able to pull things together with Lowen Lawrence beside him after you know they'd recovered from a, a pretty poor start with um you know <laughs> with, with three wickets before they'd got to 10 runs so uh, yeah Sharif the key in that match Namibia's batting in the in the past I guess Namibia have struggled a bit overseas and, and they have toured quite poorly over over the years and that's kind of something they're 
they're trying to shake, but they're still, I guess, struggling with that. Jan Nicole Lefty Eaton though has been very good in this yeah. in in the two matches that he's played so far. I think temperamentally is the most impressive part. The fact that he is the guy who's digging them out of trouble in this match. Uh, yeah, they were three for eight, and and he put on a, a decent stand with Lawrence, who also is another one who's yeah been in and out of the team over over the years and um is, has come back and looked looked in good form. So that's good to have him batting well. But um yeah, Lofty Eaton. Uh, looking really composed and measured and same again against Nepal. They were in a bit of trouble and he was just really holding things together. He didn't panic. He he didn't, you know, just try and slog his way out of trouble, uh, which is kind of something that these Namibians occasionally do fall into, that trap. So I think, yeah, Lofty Eaton looking fantastic uh, with the bat. He hasn't bowled that much, which is uh, kind of interesting because I, I think he's this is quite promising as, as a bowler. But, you know, if he keeps batting this well, they're not going to complain. Looking at where Namibia sit on the table, as you were talking about, yeah, um, that 50% win record just probably isn't going to be enough at this stage. Although, you know, teams like the USA, who are also sitting around the 50% win rate, um, Nepal also on that 50% win rate. So, it's, it's definitely a logjam in the middle and... As you say, matches against PNG in hand is, unfortunately for PNG, kind of a, a measure of, you know, they, they could improve their situation a bit uh, with, with those games um, unless PNG play a lot better than they have over the last little while. I guess direct qualification looks to be slipping out of their grasp because Scotland is is one of the main competitors for that and just the way things are shaking out, they would have probably had to have beaten Scotland a number of times, although, you know, they've still got a few matches in hand against Scotland, so they they could turn it around. But yeah, looking more and more likely that they'll just be targeting that finish and, um, you know, avoiding the... Again, we don't know if it's a relegation zone or, or what's going to happen in the next cycle, but the, the, <laughs> the nothing good that's going to happen to you zone, at least. Yeah, it'd be good to actually have some clarity as to what, first of all, the bottom two spots means, and then, yeah, the, the spots between automatic qualification and and the bottom two we have also not a huge indication as to what happens in the next cycle what they're even planning on doing for a competition so point you know it'd be be good to have some clarity as to what we're going to get in the next cycle but also what it means if you finish in the in the bottom four uh not only you know fifth and sixth but we've heard rumors of yeah lost one day international status if you finish in the bottom two also rumors of that not happening because Due to COVID, you know, teams have had different situations. We know PNG haven't been able to play at home uh, in this whole competition as yet. So that's something else that I'm sure will be factored in. And yeah, we, we don't know what's going to happen in the next cycle, how a competition in this sort of framework will even run. Should probably talk about Nepal briefly before we do sort of finish off on the point. But I think we could kind of agree that, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And it's got to a point now where... Yeah, the batting is is still poor. There doesn't seem to be a change in game plan, and, and that line rings true. But I think now, and I think I saw this in with Namibia's victory over them, was that their reputation almost precedes them as a bad batting team now, where teams will be in trouble when Nepal bowl, and they'll be 7 for 180, 9 for 190, 9 for 200. But they'll they'll know, like Namibia did in, in one of the particular matches, where... You know, they were scratching around just to get 220. But the lower order probably knew, and Erasmus probably knew, that 
220 was going to be enough when they played a team like Nepal and the way that Nepal bats. And sure enough, they won that particular game by 40 runs. And it, it's got to a point now that everyone knows that Nepal's batting is is not a strong suit. And yeah, you can sort of scratch around and, and see off Sandeep with the ball, see off their decent bowling attack, still put up 210, 220, 230, 240. And you know that you're probably going to win eight, nine maybe even 10 games out of 10 against a team like Nepal because they're not good enough to chase it down. Yeah, it's interesting that you you, you say that because I think, you you know, looking back, Lofty Eaton's innings showed signs of that in in the way that he definitely had in his mind a certain total. I don't know if it was, you know, 220 or 230 or or whatever, but um, they ended up getting to 220, which after being, you know, 4 for 98, 5 for 122, 6 for 144, 7 for they kept losing wickets and, you know, you kept thinking, oh, you know, a couple more here and, and they're in a lot of trouble. But Lofty Eaton just held everything together and he, he could see that he had an idea in his mind of just get to a decent defendable total and they're in with a really good chance. So, again, very impressive batting from him, very mature innings from from the young guy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> poor old Sandy taking four wickets goes in vain, you know, no support from his batters. I think, I mean, Nepal, they looked so right. Early on, they were one for forty nine. Kushal Patel and 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 Dev Kanal uh, were were batting. The deck was a bit challenging again, so you know they they were batting in a measured kind of way. But once Bertel went, you know he he was stumped by a really good piece of glove work from from Zane Green. You know he he overbalanced a little bit, leaned forward, and Green kind of waited for his foot to just to lift off a couple of centimetres and whip the bales off. And that was great, great awareness and a good piece of bowling from Schultz as well, um, you know, dragging him forward and, and overbalancing. Schultz was really good. Schultz, I mean, he's he's just always so solid, isn't he? Oh. he you know, Bernard Schultz, 2 for 27 in that game. He, that's kind of a, a typical uh, Schultz bowling performance. Just, you know, winkles out a couple of wickets, nothing spectacular, just 10 overs of very, very reliable left arm finger spin. But yeah, that stumping and then the run out from Erasmus to follow up, you know, diving in the air, direct hit of, of Rohit Padel, just put a bit of a, a panic on them. And then, you know, almost immediately, Canal was gone as well. LBW with, you know, very, just a nothing dismissal, really. And then again, same thing with uh, Dependra Singh Iri, the promising youngster. Just a soft dismissal, just a nothing shot, really, off Visa and Erasmus, the man to take the catch as well. So they get into an okay position, they're batting sensibly, and then just a little spark, there's just a bit of magic in the field from a guy like Erasmus who can provide that. Yeah. And and they don't quite know how to respond. And from there, the wheels just really fall off. And so, you know, we've seen this Nepali batting lineup do some remarkable things. We've seen all of these guys individually play really good innings. And, you know, even Arif Sheikh, who who was ended up fifty not out, he was he was not batting badly. You know, these guys know how to hold a bat, but there's just something that gets into their minds and this this kind of I don't know, herd mentality is the right word or, or just I don't know, some kind of panic or temperamental issue that leads them to just fall over each other and it's it's quite strange really because they're all very capable individually but put them in a team of 11 together and they they look terrible i, I don't 
I don't get it. I know we say this every <laughs> every time they play, really. They're batting... Every week almost, it feels like. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, you look at that batting lineup. Kushal Patel, Asif Sheikh, Dev Kanal, Rohit Patel, Dependra Singh Ari, Arif Sheikh, Sompal Kami can hit it. Karan KC, we, we've seen him get them out of trouble and he did sort of uh, land a couple of uh, big blows towards the end. You know, these are guys who can bat and we've seen it, but... It's, I don't understand. I, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on, but something clearly is rotten in, in the setup here because the same thing just keeps happening again and again and again. Uh, yeah, someone made a point on Twitter this week. It might have actually been Momo Cricket. It might have been Rajan Shah who put forward this stat about Dependra Singh Ari in 50 over cricket. If you, you take out his 100 that he scored against PNG, then his average is X. It was under 20 over the last 10 innings. And I'm not a huge fan of those stats where they say, you know, look, if you take out this score and this score, because... <laughs> well, yeah, if, if you take out the times that they play well, then they are bad. Like, Yeah, it, it defeats the purpose a little bit, but it almost makes sense. I mean, outside of that one particular innings and against a team who have struggled so much in the competition, you do have to start asking questions. And Dependra Singh Ari is, I think, pound for pound, when he's at his best, he's one of the best bats in the associate world. But if there's not that stability that he brings in the middle order, I just don't know where to for Nepal. It's almost like they need that opening pair who prefer the T20 game to just go bananas and and it comes off for them. But another point to make about Erasmus is that not only is his batting, you know, he's probably in the the best, what, three or five associate bats around. He's probably in the same conversation as a fielder as well. And PDP made the point when we had a brief chat to him talking about his impact in a game. You know, if someone was to look at a scorecard and and make an, an assessment of who wins player of the match you know the numbers he might have put together actually on a scorecard might not say a terrible lot but when you change the match in the field like he does obviously captaining the team as well and he did this during the t20 world cup as well he was fantastic in the field albeit with a broken finger at the time i think he had one particular good run out in the in the super 12 phase of the t20 world cup as well so a guy that can sort of do it all and those are the little one percenters as you know as much as I hate it, it's, I think we've just taken that from AFL parlance. But, you know, just those little things that make your side good. And when teams aren't doing those things, that's when the bad habits come and that's when the losses start to happen. Like a team like Nepal, who just can't quite put that partnership of 50 or 80 together just to get things moving along. It's not really a holistic effort. And yeah, when you're not doing the fundamental things right, that's when everything breaks down. And I think that's what's kind of happening in Nepal. So to kind of, you know, tie it all up it's just getting the little things right to have the big picture sorted it just doesn't seem like Nepal are are really putting those little pieces together let's move on quickly before we do finish off tonight uh Europe qualifier a sub-regional for the 2024 T20 World Cup is underway uh just started as as we're recording so we can't really talk too much about the tournament only that you know one team goes through and it's a slightly different format to the last qualifier in Europe that we saw where we had two groups of four two semi-finals uh, and then the final to decide who was to go through to the European qualifier this one's a little bit different this one and the next qualifier will be played in this way where there's two groups of five the top team in each of the two groups will play each other in a final to decide the winner of the sub-regional qualifier to who progresses to the European qualifier and then there's playoff matches for, for everyone else. Looking at the, the 10 teams on paper, Italy are the favourites to take out this tournament, obviously coming back from Challenge League. 
red hot favourites. I saw Harry Menenti, who is Ben Menenti's brother in the Italy squad. Mm, uh, that's interesting. A sort of niche Australian associate cricket connection. But yeah, just interested to see what you make of, of this particular tournament and, and its format. Played in Finland. The one next week is also held in Finland too. A couple of debutantes, you know, across the European region taking part in this tournament and, and qualifying for a T20 World Cup for the first time. But yeah, it'd be very hard pressed for anyone to beat Italy at this level anyway. Yeah, Italy, definitely the favourites in their group, joined by Finland, Croatia, Sweden and Greece. Yeah, I, I can't see them losing to any of those teams. Um, they've already tailed up Greece, although it is great to get some Greek names into the uh, the cricket record books, you know, guys like Andreas Gasteratos and Spiridon Bogdos. Uh, but uh, got to say that Italy's team is just way too strong, certainly at this level. In terms of who joins them in the final for that, for that playoff, it's a lot more open in Group 2. Uh, we've got Romania, Isle of Man, Serbia, Cyprus and Turkey. You would imagine that Isle of Man and Romania are probably the favourites. Although, again, a lot of these teams haven't played a whole lot uh, of late. So, it, it's kind of hard to predict. But yeah, I, I think looking at the tournament as a whole, it's it's great that Finland are able to, to host this. And I mean, I wouldn't necessarily discount Finland entirely. They've been... You know, there are thereabouts uh, over the last little while. They've, they've started putting together a pretty solid team. They beat Sweden in their opener and they did beat Denmark not that long ago, you know, in, in a bilateral series that they played uh, over in Denmark. So they're not leagues below Italy, but yeah, I think Italy is certainly too strong with their with their current squad. I guess the only thing I would say is that it's, it's nice to have all these teams playing in, in a big event. But at the same time, you know, where's where's the support below that? You know, if if you know, we only see, you know, Croatia's and your Serbia's and your Greece's, you know, or, or in your Isle of Man's, you know, once every sort of couple of years in a pathway event, and then there's nothing else. They're still not necessarily going to help them that much. Although, yeah, it's certainly better having more teams. I'm never going <laughs> to, I'm never going to complain about having big qualifying events or uh, you know, big pathway events. But there could be more sort of structure around that to support them as well. Yeah, looking forward to this tournament on ICC TV as well, live and free pending the stream and any WhatsApp messages that you might hear at your inconvenience as well. Uh, and the, uh, the the third qualifier of the Europe sub-regionals basically is run straight after this also in Finland as well, so look out for that as well. Finally, uh, Malaysia Quad Series in the books just to wrap up, I suppose, this week's action in the emerging game, uh, Malaysia winning every match in the uh, in the competition that they did host, Bhutan, the Maldives, and Thailand also competing in that tournament. Bhutan tasted some some, uh, some success, winning all their matches that didn't involve Malaysia on the other side of things. A little bit disappointing from, from the Thailand uh, standpoint, I would say, although that's probably us putting a, a lofty comparison with their... Uh, women counterparts who are just so awesome at this level of the game but interesting one for Malaysia we've got theories in regards to rankings and stuff and I'm sure Nick you'll talk about it but yeah Malaysia too strong this particular level in this uh, in this quadrangular series yeah it's quite a strange series this really I mean uh, <laughs> stats padding I guess you could call it I, I don't know I, I, I don't pretend 
to understand how the rankings work. I don't think anyone really does. That's um, one of the... <laughs> Unless you're Bertus de Jong. Well, even Bertus de Jong... Well, actually, even he doesn't really know because it, we, we can't work out some of the disparity and the discrepancies in some of the ranking points that do go out as well. So, And that's not a stab at Bertus because he's just trying to apply the same rules that always apply and the uh, the numbers don't quite stack up. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, the fact that someone like Bertus de Jong can't make heads or tails of it kind of indicates uh, the, the... What hope do we have? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, again, I'm not going to pretend to understand the rankings, so I don't know if this would work, but my immediate thought was, well, if you're inviting three significantly weaker teams to play against you, you know, every team playing uh, six matches and, and plus a final... Are they trying to? Are they trying to just pad out their rankings somehow? I don't know because otherwise, you know, what are they getting out of it? I, or, or I mean, maybe they're just being altruistic and they're and they're you know helping some lower ranked members in their region and and good for you know good for them. And uh, you know, I'm just being a bit too cynical with that. I don't know, but um, yeah, Thailand, yeah, pretty uh, disappointing as you say. They lost every game. Didn't really look close to winning anything. Cameron Cinnamon Tree became a bit of a bit of a hero for them. He took a hat trick against the Maldives. Couldn't on his way to four for nineteen. Uh, but the the batters couldn't back it up and you know, just looking at some of the you know, only only one batter had an average above double figures. Uh they they just are not quite good enough at this level. Uh, I think looking towards the future, maybe this is kind of a, a first step for a lot of these players. Um, there were certainly a number of debutants in across the campaign for them, and you know they were all um, you know ethnic ties, which is the approach that they take with the women's team. So potentially it's kind of a, a change of direction, and they're trying to do the same thing and, and replicate that I guess strategy with the men's team. So yeah, that'll be I guess one to watch over the next sort of few years time, as as the Thailand men try and. Um, try and live up to the lofty standards as you say from from the women's side who've, who've been so successful fantastic talking to you once again nick about all the goings-on in the emerging cricket world oh good to be here as always bez We'll try and manage uh, your busy schedule next week with how we put together uh, next week's podcast. But once again, to everyone around the world, thank you so much for tuning in. Of course, for news in the Emerging Game, log on to EmergingCricket.com. But for now, on behalf of myself, Daniel Beswick and Nick Skinner, enjoy the rest of your week wherever you are around the Emerging Cricket world.